When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to Aussies Only, the first surf's deeper look inside the game at home. Talking to those inside and outside the tram lines. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Aussies Only, brought to you by Latua Tennis, the very best tennis apparel in the game. Head over to latuatennis.com to get your hands on their latest Dig 3 collection, which you would have seen players wearing at this year's Australian Open. It's your host, Jed Zetzer, and in this week's edition of the show, we chat to David Bidmead. David takes us through his incredible journey, which includes being a hitting partner for some of the world's best players, as well as coaching Bernard Tomic, managing Sam Groth, and his current involvement at the Kuyong Lawn Tennis Club. All that plus much more. It's time now to hand it over to my co-host, the former pro, Jake Eames, to introduce our special guest. Yeah, cheers, Jed. Uh, pleasure to be back again. And yeah, he is a good mate of mine. And I tell you what, buck yourselves in if you want to listen to a chat with a comprehensive experience in tennis. Uh, it's right here. And his name is David Bidmid. How are you, mate? Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. That's um, a pretty good intro, Ainsley. I'm not sure I can live up to that, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> David, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very interested to get stuck into your story and explore your journey you grew up with a clay court at home at the time it was one of the only clay courts in south australia tell us what it was like growing up with a tennis court at home and some of the perks of having a clay court in your backyard yeah i mean um for me it was amazing that's how i got into tennis um, my parents were both um really good players um they were the, the top players in um south australia um, at one stage or another during their 20s. So for me, I kind of grew up playing on that backyard court. As you said, yeah, it was, it was basically the only clay court um, in South Australia for many years uh, before they built the ones at Memorial Drive. Um, so when I was a kid, a young kid, we, um, we always had people playing on, on the court in the backyard. And, um, you know, as a young kid, I, I had no idea who they were. But um, as I got a bit older, I... Um, you know, start to realise who some of the players were. And, um, I mean, we had players like Michael Stick came through, who won Wimbledon. Uh, Mimi Josevic, uh, she won the French Open. She came in and hit there. Um, you know, Dan Petrich, he coached Djokovic for a bit. He was a good player himself. Um, Alicia Mollick, John Fitzgerald, uh, Peter Carter, who, um, of course, coached Federer growing up. Um, Anthony Lane, who's a, you know, a renowned coach now. And all these guys were um, coming around and hitting on our, on our backyard court. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, that was, you know, it's, it's, yeah, pretty cool to be in that environment. Um, and of course, uh, it sort of, I guess, got me into tennis. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, some of my greatest memories probably now still, uh, you know, hitting on that backyard court um, with mates and, uh, and my parents. 
Yeah, it's an amazing environment to be in, to have so many good players come through their backyard. That, that wouldn't happen much <laughs> at all. Did, did you just really latch on to tennis straight away because of that, or were you interested in other sports as well? Uh, no, I played a bit of everything. I was, you know, doing athletics. Um, I love footy. I uh, played footy up until I was 18, 19 still. Um, I was mm. playing basketball and, yeah, I was really into everything. Um, and I was, you know, I was throwing a baseball and a, and a gridiron ball with, you know, guys on the street. And so tennis for me was just, you know, a bit of fun. And, you know, I think even, you know, to play club tennis originally, dad gave me a bit of pocket money to, um, to get into it. So, you know, I kind of, uh, I guess I grew to love it, but I, I always loved it, but I was just always active with, with every sport. So, yeah, I guess, you know, as it went on though, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, it really became a passion for me. Was there a point in time where you sort of realised that you preferred tennis to other sports and growing up, were you the best out of your mates? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably started, when I started to play a little bit more and I started to play tournaments and um, you know, I just really wanted to be seeded. You know, that was uh, I saw these seeds, and I, you know, got to know a few of the guys, and that was sort of like, oh, I want to be a seed. You know, and that kind of got me excited. And um, yeah. so then I was, you know, I was a decent athlete, so I, I kind of picked it up reasonably well. So I think when I became, you know, relatively good at it, um, then I, I guess I, you know, started to pursue it more, and um, and you know, started doing squads and getting some um, some coaching. So. Uh, I think that kind of took over a little bit, but the other sports I was playing, I was playing basketball, football, um, also athletics. I mean, those types of things, I mean, really helped me. I mean, they all, they all work in. They helped me so much with my tennis, with the movement and, you know, and obviously fitness and those types of things. Yeah, mate, you, from my experience with you, you're definitely a competitive guy. Uh, I mean, whatever you do. Um, <laughs> too competitive, would you say? Oh, oh no, <laughs> never too competitive, mate. Um, <laughs> But you moved to Melbourne because your dad ended up becoming the director of Tennis Australia at some point in time there. And you made the move, I guess, as the family. Was that, was that a big move for you guys? And, and do you think it was a positive one for, for you with tennis and then also, you know, your family in, in general? Yeah, I mean, at the time it was a massive move. Didn't really want to leave Adelaide. Was loving Adelaide. But, um, yeah, dad, uh, who's a lawyer, he got the job at Tennis Australia's tennis director. Uh, so he was there for five years. And I... Um, I, I guess, yeah, the, the move was pretty big initially, but uh, yeah, starting out again, went to a great school, Kerry Grammar, and, and got into all sorts of different sports there, including tennis, and uh, started playing first tennis and that type of thing, and um, found some good coaches, and Warren Maher, and um, some other squads that I was involved in, uh, with Russell Cornell, and state zonal squads, and that type of thing, so, you know, I got in a pretty good environment, and I guess through playing tournaments, um, already, you know, going from South Australia to Melbourne, you, you sort of know a few of the players anyway, you know, even when you're 13, 14, 15. And yeah, so I think it ended up being a really positive move. And um, Melbourne was, um, yeah, it's, it's been great for me. I love it here. David, you've had some experiences playing tennis overseas. You played club tennis in Germany. Tell us about that experience and how'd you find that? Yeah, uh, I was lucky enough. Uh, we had a contact um, in Hamburg or just outside of Hamburg called, uh, in a town called Elmshorn. And I was playing, I think, this third league, Oberliga uh, there. And so I finished school and took a gap year. And I, you know, that was all lined up. And I was really excited um, to do that. I mean, just the experience of um, going and playing in, um, in another, another country, another culture, uh, and, and being involved in that, getting paid, you know, at that at that stage, you know, to get paid to play is pretty exciting. 
Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I love the team environment as well. You know, that's always been a big thing for me and probably playing those other sports as well growing up. Uh, I always loved being in a team and that also reflects in, you know, playing, you know, Pennant and Premier League and, and all that type of thing now. But, yeah, I mean, I, I love that. It was just to be able to travel and then go play a few tournaments as well. And, and that probably, I guess, also um, ignited the, you know, more passion to, to continue to play a bit more, I think, just to th- that experience being over there. Yeah, being able to travel, I think, for tennis is something where such an amazing opportunity you get taken away, I guess, from your city and experience the world, kind of doing what something, something you love as well. So that experience, obviously, as you said, ignited more passion for, for more tennis at a high level. And you do love the team environment, like you said. Was that one of the main factors why you went to college? I believe you went there for a year. How do you compare those two experiences between club tennis and college tennis? Yeah, I had a few opportunities to go to college when I finished year 12 and I, I didn't take them. And I, I started studying back in Melbourne after club tennis in Germany and traveling a bit that year. And I, um, yeah, I just sort of, I guess I regretted not going initially. And I, uh, I just, yeah, thought, look, you know, what, I'll still make it happen. And so I went over to, um, I was at Auburn Montgomery in, um, in Alabama, which was culturally the experience of that was was amazing, I think, to have that opportunity uh, and tennis allowed me to have that opportunity to, uh, to play and, um, and to study as well, which is obviously continue my studies, which is an, um, an added bonus. And I guess compared to, you know, club tennis environment, which is, which is still great, but you just get so well looked after at college uh, and, you know, you're mixing with great people from, um, from different cultures and uh, there's other sports, there's other athletes there. Uh, you know, you're playing every few days with, with your teammates. And, uh, you know, I still have lifelong friends now, even though I was only there for a short time. But I still have, um, you know, friends from that experience that I, um, you know, I'm sure will be, the, you know, friends for the rest of my life. Looking back, mate, would you have liked to do extra time at, at college rather than just one year? Yep, I would say looking back, I would I would have gone yeah probably a year after after school. I think you know I, I probably could have gone to uh, maybe bigger, better school. I was still at a at a you know good program, but I think um, yeah I, I would do it. I mean I would re- really high, highly recommend it for players now. I mean I think you know given that to to crack it onto the onto the tour at this stage you know, it's pretty hard, but also, you know, the average age is, you know, 28 for men and I think 26 and a half for women um, of the top 100 players. So if you can go to college for four years and um, enjoy that competitive environment when you get really well looked after, develop your tennis, earn a degree as well. I mean, how good is that? And I think, um, yeah, I'd highly recommend that pathway for, for most players. David, do you feel your level of tennis improved a lot at college? Yeah, I would say so. Playing so many matches, playing every day, you know, you're pretty focused on it. I think uh, when you're in that environment, it's really hard for it to not improve. Um, and yeah, I, I think you have a drive and a motivation as well. And, you know, you're playing not just for yourself, but you're playing for, you know, your teammates, for your school. Um, I think those things are, you know, big factors in, in motivating you to improve and, and be better. So yeah, without a doubt, definitely. It is, mate. A lot of things I like to chat to you about and why I find it so interesting chatting tennis with you is because your experience across so many elements as a player, after club tennis, college tennis, you made the decision to go on the pro circuit. How did you find that experience? Because you're out there by yourself now, not with the team. 
And what were your goals heading out there onto the circuit? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, I, I finished my degree. So I came back from college and I finished my degree here in Melbourne. Um, and yeah, I, after that, I was, you know, really determined to, to yeah, get through my degree, get it done. And, and I want to travel and play. And my, I guess my initial goal was I just want to get a ranking. And, and I had a doubles ranking um, early on when I was 18, 19. And I um, was like, no, I want to, you know, I want to get a singles ranking and I want to then go travel and, and play and, and experience you know, futures and, and hopefully we'll like see how we go from there if I can get to challenges and so forth. But I kind of, um, you know, I had an outset that I was doing it for the experience and, and, you know, whatever came with that, whatever success came with that, you know, that that's fantastic. You know, I, a couple of the players, um, you know, at the time who I was traveling with, um, Nico Trukulja and David Toe, and we kind of had a similar outlook, I guess, that, you know, we we're a fairly, I mean, trying to be well-rounded in, in, um, have a degree behind us and, and, you know, play tennis and maybe, maybe we're trying to be, do a bit too much. But I think for me, I was, um, you know, really looking to, to get the experience, to travel, to meet people and I guess utilise, you know, some sort of, I mean, I, my level was okay. So I was at a level enough where I could do that. You know, maybe that, you know, maybe that determines that, you know, I wasn't sort of aiming high enough, you know, to be a, you know, okay, I want to be top 100 or, or whatever, but, um, I guess in you know in terms of what I got out of it, still I think was yeah it was you know invaluable for me. Post your playing career, you've had some incredibly interesting jobs. The first one I want to talk about is being the coach of Bernard Tomic. Tell us about that experience and how was it being involved in the Tomic camp and how did it come about? Yeah, Bernie's uh, had some really great experiences with um, with Bernard uh, over the years. I. I got a call from, I was in Darwin playing at AMT and I had a bunch of missed calls from John Tomic and it was pretty random, but uh, basically my, my name had been um, put up by a couple of people, Sean Fife, who was his um, fitness trainer at the time. So he, um, I think, recommended me and I, yeah, got a, I came off, off a match and I um, got a call from David, this is John Tomic and I was like, yeah, John, how are you? And it's pretty random, but. Uh, basically, he asked, do you want to come and um, join Bernard as his hitting partner and part of the, the coaching team um, next week? And I was like, well, you know, John, okay, but I'm in Darwin right now. You know, I'm, I'm not sure I can, um, I can arrange that so fast. But, you know, about three days later, I was on a plane, um, I was on a plane to Europe. I, um, I joined him in uh, just after the French Open and... Um, you know, I think it was in Halle um, in, in Germany, the Jerry Weber Open. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty pretty amazing experience. I think the, the first experience I got, actually, I hadn't actually met Bernard properly, but, um, you know, I think he, he just burst into my apartment. I was on the bloody bathroom on the toilet and, um, and he's knocking at the door and I was like, oh, hey, mate, how are you? Yeah, it's pretty awkward. But I, you know, then that night we went to a player party and, you know, Rafa comes up and Rafa, you know, Bernie's like, hey, congratulations, you know, he just won the French Open and he's, Rafa's shaking my hand and I'm like, oh, hey, yeah, hey, mate, yeah, well done. And, you know, it was, it was sort of thrown right into it. You know, the next day we're playing basketball with Raonic and Troisky and, and all this sort of stuff. And anyway, so at the time for me, I mean, um, you know, I was pretty like, whoa, okay, this is, this is pretty fun. You know, it's pretty amazing. So that was the start of it. Um, and, you know, it went along for quite a stint that time and yeah there's many stories and experiences through through that with Bernie yeah a lot of people with Bernie it's a tricky one isn't it because 
a lot of what we've seen, Bernie, recently is you know a lack of effort, tanking, and so forth. But there's been so much of his life where he has worked the house down as well. Um, I remember Bernie growing up, he was always on the court, numerous hours. And uh, did you see that side of him, Bitters at all, where he really worked hard? Yeah, I think... Um... Look, I mean, and he admits it himself that, you know, he, he could have done things better and, and can do things better, you know, throughout his 20s. I guess what people probably forget a little bit is, um, you know, from 10 years old through to 18, you know, he was on the court six to eight hours a day doing fitness, doing, you know, whatever it took. You know, he was an absolute workhorse to get there. So, you know, there were elements of that and, and at the time, you know, I mean, we had a, and I'm like, well, I, well, as we call it, we call it Munich Madness and we kind of laugh about it now. But, um, you know, John, he left to, to go and have a break. Um, this was after, after Wimbledon and we, um, we went to Munich to train and we, we trained for like, you know, five or six hours a day minimum. You know, we were on court and I remember the first day, it's sort of like you wanted to prove a point. Because um, I guess we were kind of, um, we were told that we were, okay, you know, you guys are, Sean, the fitness coach, and I, you guys are in charge, you guys are doing the drills, um, you, you know, run the sessions and Bernie wasn't having anything of it. So he was like, well, you know, I'm going to show these guys that, you know, I can, you know, conduct things and control things and, um, and train the house down. So I remember the first session, um, you know, we we're about three hours in, I thought we we're finishing up and he sent Sean to go get some lunch halfway through and we we're eating lunch at the change of ends and, the first session we did six and a half hours straight. You know, the next day we did about four straight, and this is on top of playing soccer and basketball each day. Uh, and then the last day we um, we started 11 a.m. warm up, played basketball for 40 minutes, pretty competitive. Jumped on court for uh, for yeah at midday. We're on court at uh, until 9 p.m. So this is nine hours straight, and. I would played about eight sets at this stage um, before that doing drills. I was mentally and physically broken. Um, <laughs> I, I said, so my reward at the end of this, if you like, um, I had a week off before the Olympics and I had a week off to, in, in Monte Carlo at Bernie's apartment. He's like, okay, you can, you know, you have my apartment for the week and you break. And I was like, this is amazing. That's going to be phenomenal. So I was like, I just got to get through this. At 9 p.m., I went to the bathroom and sat on the, on the toilet and I just had my hands in my head. Uh, I was just going, God, this is, you know, I was, I was so fried. Uh, I came back about 15 minutes later and he's playing points out of the hand with, with Sean, the fitness coach. He's still going. Anyway, we, uh, they stopped at about 9.45 um, and it stopped because we had to check into a hotel at, at 10 o'clock and we were, uh, we were going to miss the check-in and, and Bernie kind of realised this and he, he was just a bit delirious. We're all delirious. We're all on the floor laughing at the end of it. Um, I mean, it was kind of a crazy experience. I couldn't walk for the next week. Um, but, but um, yeah, I don't even think I'll ever play tennis for a longer period than that. But I guess those are the things that, um, well, I won't forget it. Bernie and I laugh about it now, but it's also people uh, probably don't see that side of him. But he does have that to him and he knows that, there are times where he hasn't worked hard enough, you know, in these last whatever five years and he admits it. But there are times where he, you know, he actually really put in and, and uh, worked as hard as he could. Yeah, it seems like your, uh, your dual role there as a player and a coach kind of hurt you there because a lot of coaches don't get sucked into hitting <laughs> so many hours like that. <laughs> 
But um, you mentioned before you went through all the Grand Slams with Bernie because obviously his, his ranking was extremely high at the time. Do you have any fond memories from you know, a particular Grand Slam or an event that you really look back on and think that, that was a cool moment? Wimbledon was amazing just um, because it was, you know, it was really exciting being there. It was my first time there. Um, Bernie uh, made quarterfinals the year before he broke through. So there was a lot of hype around him. Being there was special. Um, I think the US Open really stands out. He, um, he won his first round and he played Roddick on the Friday night in New York, night match. And Roddick had just announced his retirement the day before. And I guess there was... You know, the, the hype and the press around that was massive. And there's a lot of talk that, you know, why didn't he announce it at the start of the tournament? And I, and I guess there's a lot of talk that we thought he was going to lose. And at the time, Bernie was, you know, 20-ish, 23 in the world or something and um, probably the best young gun going around. And so Roddick was, you know, probably thinking it was his last match. And But I, I just remember being in the in the locker rooms uh, before that match and no one else was around. And um, they were showing a montage of Roddick's career on, um, on, the, on the TV and then locker rooms. And I think Peter Luchat was there as well, maybe watching. And, and, but Roddick was there in front of the TV watching it and Bernie had gone to warm up. And I was sort of about five metres away from Roddick, sort of watching him do this, uh, watch, his, sorry, watch his, um, this montage of his whole career and going through everything. And, and tears start rolling down his um, eyes and, and he's around his, down his face and he's rubbing his legs and he's looking over at me and he's looking over at... Um, you know, who's around and he, he just, he, he was an absolute wreck of emotion. Um, and yeah, and he just had to leave and he, he got out of there. But even that, I mean, it sort of, it doesn't necessarily relate to, to Bernie, but just being in that moment, I guess, was sort of like pretty unique, you know, to, to be there. And, um, you know, I found that kind of special and being, yeah, that's a you know, funny timing and I was there. But um, that match, obviously, Roddick blew him away and the crowd was, was going bananas that, um, there's another funny time the US uh, Bernie was practicing with with Stan and you know he chopped him in a set like 6-2 and Stan was oh Bernie you, you stuck my rhythm I can't play now I can't play uh, I have no rhythm you know and um, John wanted to wanted Bernie to practice more so he was David David get out there get out there and, and I, I run out there and I haven't done my shoes up properly and you know there's probably two three hundred people watching and you know Stan and his team are watching and the second shot I go to play, I take off for a wide forehand and my foot just comes out of my shoe. And I'm running around with one shoe on and a bare foot and <laughs> during this rally and everyone's laughing in the crowd. And I go to put the shoe back on and John's like, no, 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 keep going, keep going. I'm like, come on. So I'm playing the next rally with one, one shoe on, one foot. I mean, it was, just, it, was, it was so embarrassing and everyone's laughing at me. Um, anyway, that, that kind of... That stands out for yeah for the wrong reasons, but um you know I just finally just stopped and said look guys like, I got to put my bloody shoes on. But anyway, like I just those funny moments, um you know and I guess you know stuff like going to the Nike house um, at all these slams with Bernie and you know they roll a suitcase out and here's here's all your stuff and you know that kind of you know that kind of treatment you know seeing a top player you know get rewarded like that and and then you're part of his team so you get all this stuff as well. I mean. That was, yeah, that was pretty amazing um, for me. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could go on, you know, for, for a long time about all these stories and stuff, but the whole experience um, of travelling with him and, and then I guess I've, you know, done, you know, numerous Aussie summers with him as well. You know, that's been, yeah, really, uh, I guess, experiences that I'll, I'll you know, can um, use for, for my 
career for coaching and, and I'll never forget them. Just one last one on Bernie. It's obviously well speculated, you know, you can, you can work hard and then you can overwork. Do you feel like the environment was a healthy environment or do you feel like he was just working to the point where, I mean, we see today he sort of struggled to maintain that same dedication. Do you think he just burnt out a little bit because of how hard he was working? I think, yeah, as a kid, as uh, growing up, he, uh, he, yeah, he worked so hard that it probably has burnt him out for the latter years and, and recently for his career. And he also admits that. The thing is probably with that environment is it wasn't the best for him, but whether he would have become a player and got there, you know, it's, it's really hard to say, but that probably did help him, um, you know, drive him to, to become a, you know, top 20 player. Um, so I, I, you know, it's, it's a lot of, it's a tough one because it's sort of give and take a bit. And, you know, I think he's maturing a lot now and I, I, you know, I still, I'm still in touch with him hearing that he's, you know, really training, training hard, but, you know, in terms of, um, you know, him as a person, it, it definitely affected him, the environment that he was in and, you know, he could have done things a lot better. And, uh, you know, you hope that he still will do things a lot better, um, you know, in the next few years, hopefully, uh, as he, you know, tries to reboot his career and also off the court as well. You know, I think he's getting a bit smarter, but, um, you know, there are probably that environment growing up and, um, you know, it hasn't helped him in that, in that way. But yeah, look, it's a funny one because, you know, he is a top 20 plays one, you know, you know, a few titles and cause a slam. He, he's actually not, I mean, he's not an amazing athlete. Um, so he's, but he's an unbelievable uh, ball striker and the way he can break down opponents uh, is, is pretty amazing. So he's probably, in terms of, he's really got a lot out of his, his athleticism, I guess, and his skills are phenomenal, but his athleticism is not, it's not that great. He's not that quick around the court. He's not that agile. So, you know, there's so much hype around young Aussie tennis players um, and there's high expectations that, you know, could he have got higher? Maybe, but, you know, maybe he's also reached like the, the peak of, um, where he could have got to, and he, and probably, you know, he would have done things a little bit differently along the way. But you know, it's probably going to be looked at maybe in in ten years' time. That yeah, he was a, he was a bloody good player. Certainly. Uh, so you've been a hitting partner for so many of the world's top players. Obviously, those experiences with Bernie are incredible. Is there one player though that stands out? Maybe that you've had a one-off hit with that you just thought, wow, this gets with you know, incredible intensity. And, yeah, is there just one play that maybe stands out above the rest? Good question. I, I think, yeah, I mean, so I, I hit with um, Marion Bartoli, one Australian Open. I was her hitting partner. I mean, she was, like, so intense and she was so unique. Funny, strange, like, warm-ups. We hit from, like, three-quarter court for about 15 minutes and she was just ripping balls. It was so hard to control. Um, she was yeah, doing some really different drills, like that kind of stood out. And you see with her, her warm-up before she got on court as well, she was um, doing thoroughbred uh, bands, like but sprinting, she was, you know, father who was a coach was holding. I um, mean, you know, it was really so intense, you know, that it was kind of, you know, like you hadn't seen any other player do that. So that was um, pretty unique, the, the way she went about things. I mean, with Ainsley, I mean, Wozniacki, I, I think the environment that she was in, that was, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I love doing that. And I, I think she was so professional, switched on. 
just a real all-round like great person and I think she really knew exactly what she wanted out of the session and same with her dad her coach they knew exactly what they were doing every hour and it might have only been you know one or two you know little things that they're working on and it's almost subtle but that was the focus and I think that's what you pick up from hitting with these players is that um, you know they want to feel good and they want to before matches and you know before the tournament um, and whatever they're they're working on, it's just little tweaks, it's little little minor adjustments, um, you know. And I, yeah, I, I think if any young player, and if you you know you're at a good level where you can get the the opportunity to hit with um, professional players, you can just pick up so many things and learn so much, you know, from them. So uh, any, anyone out there would yeah, highly recommend it if you can do it. Yeah, I hundred percent agree there, bitters as well. Like the more players you start to hit with or work with, you just see how the individuality of tennis shines through because everyone does things differently and some things might seem completely strange. You mentioned Bartoli there. I'm not sure if the same Aussie Open, but I remember seeing a video of her coming out, running backwards on a treadmill, holding a, holding some weights. I mean, it's crazy yeah, all that approaches sort of to it yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> mate, you, on the other side again, and this is what I was talking about at the very start of the intro is you, you've had so many experiences. You went on and you managed Sam Groth, the big Grothy, the world's fastest server. Give him up <laughs> his ties there for the, for the Monday show on SEN. Um, how was that experience, mate? Yeah, so I, my degree was business management, you know, strong marketing focus. After traveling with Bernie the first time, I, you know, I was also helping out Greg Jones and started traveling with him for a bit, helping coaching him. Um, but I then uh, I was mates with Grothy um, and, uh, and Matt Reed was another good mate of mine. And um, I guess I, I sort of saw those guys, uh, sort of 300-ish at the time. And, uh, you know, I think they, they came and stayed with me, um, with my parents in Adelaide and for a challenger. And I was just, you know, sort of thought, geez, these guys need help. You know, they need some help with some funding, maybe trying to get some, some rackets and that type of thing. So I just sort of offered to help them a little bit at the time. And I guess it progressed from that to, um, yeah, trying to get them some, you know, sponsorships, rackets and, and a little bit of funding and that type of thing. And then Grothy said, mate, do you want to, um, do you want to manage me full time? Uh, well, as full time as that, that was at that stage. Uh, so yeah, I started doing that and, um, you know, then Grothy clocked up the fastest serve of all time, two six three Guinness World Record, and you know, big guy, blonde hair, uh, massive serve. You know, there's obviously got to be um, a way to market that, um, and you know, as long as as well as you know, a few other things along the along the way. But the biggest one was, um, you know, we we got connected with Kia, and you know, there was an app based around Grothy um, for the Australian summer uh, called Game On, Kia Game On, and you could return Sam Groth serve uh, through through the TV, which is pretty amazing. First app of its kind, number one on the charts. Uh, but that was uh, massive for his profile, and um, you know, obviously, you know, great experience for me dealing with with that, and um, you know, dealing with key executives and marketing companies and, and that type of thing. And uh, we got to name all the serves, and we, you know, here comes the zinger out wide, and here comes the you know the tee bomb and sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really good fun. And I guess along the way that, you know, took me to uh, some other experiences with, with Grothy and, you know, he's obviously a really close mate of mine. So I guess, you know, being quite invested in it in that way as well, that you really want him to succeed. And 
um, you know, and looking out for his best interests. So, um, you know, that, yeah, that took me on a really good journey. How about for organizing deals? Like you said, you mentioned Kia there, but what about for Grand Slam matches? You know, when players lower ranked get an appearance in a, in a Grand Slam match, all of a sudden, the, I guess the importance to land some deals becomes a bit higher and you start seeing guys come out patched up. How was that experience for you trying to manage those deals? Yeah, and you see it now as well. You see guys, um, they play a slam and, you know, if they're 150 in the world, they won a round and all of a sudden they're playing a high seed on, on World Labor. And you, you always see them patched up and, um, you know, if they can ex- get an extra five, ten grand from that, you know, it's pretty valuable for them. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a fair hustle around that. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess for uh, Grothy, the biggest one was um, at the US Open. We are there and he, he won his first round. Um, US, his first Grand Slam match actually beat um, Alberto Vinolas, Romas Vinolas. Um, he beat him. Quick side story to that. You know, he was, he was up a break in the third. And he started cramping and um, it was so hot and humid in New York that, you know, that time of year it is. And, uh, you know, we started freaking out because he's, he's out in court 15, but Grothy's cramping and he, and he couldn't really um, carry on the match. And, you know, he was really struggling and he called the trainer and, you know, fortunately he was so far away from, um, you know, the hub that the trainer took ages to come out. Um, there's an Aussie ref, Wayne McEwen was there. He, you know, eventually called, uh, sorry, called the trainer eventually and that took um, you know, another few minutes and then they assessed him and so on. So he actually probably bored himself 10, 12 minutes before he could get back and played and he managed to get through service games, tank return games and get, get through service games and win a match. And that was, you know, an amazing moment. And more amazing because it set up a clash with uh, Roger Federer um, uh, for second round. And the US Open's played, the uh, first two rounds has played over, you know, the first five days uh, of the event. And so schedule comes out and uh, Grothy's playing Federer Friday night, New York uh, again. And a bit like I was a few years before with, with Bernie and, um, you know, this is an amazing moment in his career. And uh, of course there's the hustle though, you know, okay, like let's get, let's get sponsor patches on him. And for me, you know, I was going around, uh, you know, the, the player cafes, talking to other agents, talking to um, getting in touch with different companies and, and connections that I had and that other people had. And, you know, I guess we had a few offers come in, you know, a water company came in and that, you know, offering, you know, 8,000 and, you know, we got up to, you know, maybe, you know, 11, but they wanted to sit in the player box and Gothi didn't want anyone but his team in the player box. And so, you know, that went out and then another company came in, but we couldn't get the patches made in time. And, um, you know, so there's this hustle going on. And uh, then, you know, there's, there's a couple of companies that are sort of there ready to go as well um, through other agencies, you know, and then you can link in with them. So we got one of those and then his clothing sponsor, uh, one of one and anyway so the, there's this sort of I guess uh, inside hustle going on um, for that and uh, you know that was I, I was enjoyable I mean I was, I was loving it you know uh, to be honest and but then you know obviously the, the match as well was pretty amazing you know, he's playing you know Federer Friday night and uh, you know celebrities in the crowd there's uh, Will Farrell with a beard he got interviewed and he said you know you know, he got any movies came up and he said, oh, I'm, I'm auditioning for the role of Groff in the next, uh, you know, <laughs> in the next movie, you know, and this sort of stuff. And, um, you know, we're all wearing black clothes in the, in the player's box and, you know, on the, on the telecast, they're saying that we're, you know, we're look like a, 
the Legion of Doom and, and, uh, and the Aussie Rules football team and uh, me, um, his coach Ben Mathias, Guccione, Grothy's brother and Roland Black, these you know, big tall guys, if you know them, they're all about 6'5". Um, you know, so that whole experience was you know, really exciting. But then, of course, um, helps Grothy's profile playing those big matches. You know, that led into the Aussie summer and um, you know, setting up those deals um, for that next summer, obviously along with Kia, but having you know, patch deals going on and um, some appearances already lined up and you know, uh, making the most of his profile, you know, that was the main thing at that stage. And so we had um, a couple of companies on board already set up for the whole, for the whole summer. So that really helped and, and he did really well that summer. He beat Hewitt in Brisbane. He made third round at Aussie. He beat, I think, Kokonakis in the second round at Epic in the high sense. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty going on um, behind the scenes. And, and for me, that was, you know, a really great experience and, and I, uh, yeah, really loved, loved doing it. David, you spoke about how at times it can be quite straining being a hitting partner. Was managing such a high-profile player mentally straining on you as well at times? Yeah, I guess there's um, pressure that comes with it. Um, and I, for me, you know, I, I, you know I was, I'm sort of one-man band. You know, I'm, I'm not, wasn't linked with um, other companies, even though I was making connections and had connections. But so there's, there's pressure of that. You know, I guess, you know, being a hitting partner is, is yeah, it's, it's also, it's more stressful than you think because, um, you know, if you miss, miss two or three serves in a row, uh, the pressure starts building up. The player gets a bit grumpy. The coach gets a bit grumpy. Um, you know, and that, that did happen, Andy, didn't it? When I uh, was hitting with... <laughs> yeah, it did Aaron. happen. Yeah, Windy so, day, it happens to everyone, mate. <laughs> happens to the best of us. <laughs> I started missing a few serves and the, and the pressure, pressure came on. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're, they're different, they're really different um, experiences, I guess, but, you know, they bring their own pressures. I mean, I sort of like anything, but it's high stakes, you know, it's high stakes in tennis at that top level with everything. So, uh, you know, it's different kinds, but it's, you, I guess, you know, the only way is to, um, you know, head first and embrace it. It is. Just before we move on to, to what you're up to right now, um, you've coached, you've managed, you've played... Um, you've been a hitting partner. Do you like a specific role better than the rest or are you just embracing it all? <laughs> yeah, I mean, good question. I kind of, I, I guess from tennis, and this is sort of what my parents, you know, got into me at an earlier age is there's so much you can get out of it. There's so much you can get out of tennis um, as well as just playing and you know, in and around tennis, you know, the connections and, you know, you know, anyone, you know, yourself and anyone um, who's involved in it, you know, you make connections around the world, um, you know, and you, you can have some, you know, great experience in so many different areas, coaching, management, um, you know, playing, you know, and, and beyond. So um, I, I kind of, yeah, it was sort of, I had that outset that I wanted to get a lot out of it in many different ways. And, um, I probably just enjoy it all and I'm pretty um, happy that I've been able to have different experiences with it. Um, playing has been like a constant and I really love, love playing and I love playing, um, you know, at a decent level still. I'm, you know, I'm competitive like uh, we spoke before but um, that's not going to go on forever. But, um, you know, I, I love playing in the team environment, um, playing, you know, down at Kuyong for many years and um, playing with a lot of good mates there. So that's, I mean, that's probably always, I guess, number one, just going out and hitting balls. You know, I, I'm always, you know, I love that. Um, 
and not necessarily playing taunts or anything like that, but just having a hit. I think that's um, I, mean, I love that, and that's a sport for life. So I can hopefully do that until I'm you know 80 or so with bad hips and bad knees. But um, but you know, I'm just pretty grateful with some um, for the experiences that I've been able to have, I guess, in in, in the game. David, you're currently coaching at Kuyong and you're the manager of the Kuyong Foundation. Do you mind telling us about what this role entails? Yes. So, um, talent manager of the Kuyong Foundation, we, um, it's, we have two main purposes, the, the Kuyong Foundation. That's preserving the past and, and that's um, you know, the Kuyong Lawn Tennis Club as a spiritual home of Australian tennis and it has so much history there and um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a museum in itself. And if you walk through the, the clubhouse, there's, you know, there's memorabilia and, and some amazing old photos and trophies of, um, you know, some really significant players over the years and obviously home of the Australian Open, the former home of the Australian Open. So that's, that's one objective. And, you know, one of the other main or the main objective is uh, to promote the future and, and up and coming players and develop junior tennis players and, and players trying to, um, you know, crack it onto the circuit and, and whatever pathway they, pathway they go with. So we, uh, we have a scholarship program um, where we have an intake each year and, you know, the applicants try out and, and they're generally pretty young, you know, ranging from, you know, 11 or 12 through to sort of 15, 16. Uh, and we have a certain number that we take in and, um, you know, with that comes, uh, you know, membership to Kuyong the club and they get, uh, you know, uh, coaching offered to them, squad coaching offered to them and, and other benefits and partnerships that are set up um, through the foundation. Uh, and it's really just, it's, it's to help, you know, we're, we're here to help kids and, and young kids try and develop and, um, and enjoy the game of tennis and, and open up opportunities. Um, and I'm, I'm really loving it. And um, to be able to uh, be in a position to give back and, and help young kids is, um, yeah, I'm, I, I really enjoy that. Do you feel like your experience through tennis, I guess, as a player and coach, we've already discussed, does that help you, I guess, look at the kids today who are involved with the foundation, you know, and what they're bringing to the table as, as players, as people? Does that, does that help with the experience at the highest level, do you think, overseeing that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I guess I've, I've been lucky enough to be involved in a lot of different levels of tennis and, um, you know, that, that really entails the job. You know, we've got young kids, we've got some really young guns who are hopefully do some big things. And then uh, like, like a Cooper White, who's playing Junior Davis Cup as well. And then there's, you know, players who are, you know, forging uh, good pro careers, Mark Polmans, uh, Belinda Woolcock, um, you know, and other hopefuls. So uh, it, it's a big range. And, um, you know, I've been involved in, I guess, different areas um, of that range. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it really helps and, and you can sort of see, you know, where it may, may what it takes to get to um, the top level, but also, you know, what it might take to get to college or to, um, you know, if, if a player wants to go out and hit, hit the circuit and, and play futures and travel or other connections to help them with that, you know, or just to, to play, you know, good juniors or local, local pennant, you know, that, I think that's, you know, that's still a really good thing. If, if someone wants to play, you know, state or Premier League, uh, or grade one pennant and they want to do that for the next 10 years and good on them. You know, like it's a, it's, um, you know, it's nothing to be sneezed at if you're, if you're a really good top local player for many years, there's so many different um, things and, and levels of tennis, you know, or, or seniors tennis, you know, if they keep their tennis up, you know, hopefully they all do and they, they play seniors, you know? So yeah, there's, there's a lot that comes with it and there's, um, there's a lot that um, hopefully we can offer them. 
Did your experiences coaching at the highest level help you today with, you know, your coaching with kids and what are some of the coaching philosophies that you believe in? Yeah, I mean, it definitely helped. I think um, philosophies, you know, be, you can be good on the court and off the court, good people. Eamsie you know, just mentioned before character and that's a big thing with um, young kids and, you know, develop, developing their character as well. I think that's really important. Uh, we want to be good people as well as good tennis players. Um, I think that, you know, every player is unique and, you know, you, you obviously want those fundamentals there with a player's technique. Um, but you can, you can, if someone is good at, you know, hitting their forehand the way they hit it, then sometimes you might not change too many things. I mean, uh, take so Ben pair or Artoli, what we were talking before, like you're not going to pick pairs forehand. You know, you're probably not going to coach that, but you sure would take his career. That's for sure. You know, the guy's been top 20, top 30. Bartoli, the same. You know, you're probably going to go, you know, double hand both sides or teach that. But, you know, that works for her. She won Wimbledon. <coughs> yeah, you definitely take that. So I think if, if it works to play and it's, it's a strength, then you probably try and keep, keep you know, encouraging that. And um, I guess um, encouraging, yeah, that the uniqueness of a player can... can um, yeah, I think is important. Yeah, and what about, I guess, you now uh, at, at Kuyong coaching a lot of juniors and a lot of, I guess, older guys that are also keen to go to college and maybe go on the pro circuit. But you've also, as we've discussed again, where you've been at the other end where you've at the highest level guys, you know, top 25 in the world. Is there a different way to coach both of these players? You've got a kid, I guess, learning the game and someone who's already bloody very good. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, I mean, the players who are bloody good, they're, you know, maybe looking at more tactical things uh, in their, in, and also trying to break down their opponents. You know, like as I sort of mentioned slightly before, it's, it's slight tweaks. And, you know, it's much more extensive with young players uh, and trying to, you know, develop their game as a whole, I guess. Um, I think also adjusting to a player's personality and their game style as well as a coach. You know, I think you've got to try and manage that um, personality-wise, you know, trying to connect with them. And, you know, it's not also, you know, it's always, not always your way um, as a coach. I think you've got to be flexible on, on developing a player. And, you know, obviously, and, and what we said sort of before, what, what they're identifying their strengths and then trying to focus on them and identifying their weaknesses as well and, and try and improve them. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot more work with the younger kids and um and working those things david do you prefer coaching at this level or on the tour and sort of a second part to that question would you consider coaching on the tour again yeah i think um yeah it just it depends what stage in 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 someone's life they are as a coach i guess the travel uh is a big factor for a lot of coaches and um, I know uh, you had Greg Jones on the show on the show before, and I travelled um, with him, him as his travelling coach. Uh, but he had, I guess, he had a um, more experienced coach in the setup there. Um, you know, Todd Martin was the, the coach, and, and he was obviously a really high-profile player and, and coach. And um, the setup that we had, that um, I was travelling with Jonesy week in week out. Um, and Todd Martin was overseeing things. And then after, you know, a month of tournaments, we would go back and do a training block with Todd, uh, work on a few things, and then would go back out. Uh, and, and that was an amazing setup, I thought, because 
one for me as a young coach, you know, mid to late 20s, I could learn so much from Todd. Um, and, and that was, you know, such an experienced guy and had so much knowledge. So that was really invaluable for me. Um, but also, I guess, um, you know, he doesn't want to go travel the whole time. You know, he had a family. He's, um, you know, quite a bit older. Uh, and he also doesn't want to be out there grinding and hitting and doing a lot of the, the drilling, um, which, you know, I was able to do with Jonesy. So, you know, I think that setup was was really unique and um, worked so well. So I, I think, you know, a lot of – I think that should be something that people should look at a little more, and you know, because a lot of good coaches, don't, they don't want to travel anymore. They might only want to do, you know, a month a year or something. So um, I, I would definitely consider traveling. Um, again, I, I think, you know, the experiences you can get out of it are really exciting. And, yeah, I, I don't, I, yeah I'm open. You know, I could do either, really. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to travel. <laughs> Mate, you're definitely someone who would be great to have in their corner. One thing we really loved about getting you on board today was your experience across, you know, a range of different roles in tennis. And, um, you know, as, as juniors, I think uh, a lot of kids have the goal to be top 100. And it is a very tough goal to get to. So I think it's a great example of the amazing experience you can have in tennis if you don't make top 100. And I think that's a massive thing and a huge thing for kids to realise like it's, it's not a failure if you don't get that top 100. There's so much more out there. So I really appreciate your time, mate. It's been awesome to chat to you. And I'm sure we'll catch up very soon for a Pure Bay Seltzer sometime. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed it. I hope I didn't ramble on too much. Absolutely not. Yeah, that was awesome. Really insightful and some very interesting stories there. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Well, we hope you enjoyed this week's edition of the show. Some incredible insight there into the behind-the-scenes areas of the tour from David, all thanks to Latour Tennis. Make sure to head over to latourtennis.com to get your hands on the hottest tennis apparel in the game. Well, for another week, thank you for tuning into this edition of Aussies Only. Subscribe to the First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Aussies Only, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern. Crunching the numbers and in the huddle produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to the First Serve, your home of tennis. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.